0: All right, well, some things are finally loosening up a little bit. Are you feel finding a little bit of freedom? we got Disney starting to open. we got Busch Gardens starting to open. Um, Lego Land started to open. Did you see that? Nobody? People were lined up for blocks. You know, I can just talk to the cameras. They treated me better than that. Naaman's story is very interesting in 2 Kings 5. Naaman's not a believer. He's a Syrian. Syria at this particular time is in control of Israel. Israel is a vassal state to Syria. And God is blessing Syria because Syria is more godly than Israel. It's an interesting turn of events. And the story goes that Naaman, we'll get to this and just give you the whole text in a minute, but Naaman is a man of character. He is a man of righteousness. And he's the right-hand man to the king. And he's loved by everyone, but he's got a problem. He has leprosy. And Naaman, in, in the series of the wars, they've captured a young girl from Israel, and she now is the slave girl of Naaman's Wife, and she says, "You know, I know a guy in Israel who I think can solve your problems." But Naaman's not even a believer, so this is what I want to start with today. You may be here, you're like, "I'm not. I don't believe any of this. I'm not sure if I trust the Bible. I don't know if this Jesus stuff means anything." It's okay. It's all right. Naaman didn't believe any of it when the story started, and before it's over, he makes this statement: "There is no God on the earth except the God." Of Israel, right? So stick with me. Stand out of respect for God's word. 18 verses that you need the whole story, all right? Not that I don't trust you to read it yourself, but okay. Now, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Syria. That's downtown Damascus, all right? He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a valiant soldier, but he had a problem. He had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Syria had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king said. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold. Ponder that. And 10 sets of clothes. Listen, if you're coming to give me tribute, the, the, the 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold is good. You can keep the shoes. All right? You know what I'm saying? The letter that he took to the king of Israel read this way. With this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. So as soon as the king of Israel gets the letter, he tears his robe, and he says, Am I God? He doesn't know what he is about. He said, Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet. He will know there is a real God in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Now watch Elisha snub him. Elisha said, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away. Angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me, show me respect, and stand and call on the name of the Lord our God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and left in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and he said, Now I know. That there is no God in all the world except in Israel. You can be seated. So there's some principles playing out here. He's not a believer. He does not believe in the true God. But he's got a problem. He's well-respected. He's a high-ranking official. He's got so much clout with the king of Israel that the king of Israel sends this huge entourage. Listen, you don't send 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold with Fred. You send your army. It's horsemen, chariots, warriors. And the king says, man, you are so important to me. Go and get healing. I'll pay the bill. And so he, he sends him out. But Naaman had to ask. This is the mistake that we make so often. Now don't miss this. Naaman did not ask for healing. You might want to write this down. He did not ask for healing. That's the con, that is the conventional conversation that goes on about this passage. What did he ask for? To be cleansed. There's a big difference, my friend. He did not ask to be healed. Healing is temporary. But spiritual cleansing is forever. So what is the picture here? Well, you go down and dip seven times in the Jordan and you'll be healed. 1 Peter 3.21 says, When you and I are baptized into Christ, the sins are washed away. It is the picture of being cleansed. In fact, Peter says it's not the washing of your body. It is the answer of a clean conscience before God. It's a cleansing. And that word is used two, three times right there in that text. See, his problem is he has got a skin problem. He's got some kind, whether it's what we consider to be leprosy, but he's got some kind of a bad skin problem. And there's no worse problem to have than to have leprosy because nobody wants to be around you. In the Israel, they would walk around and say unclean and nobody could be around them. All right? So this is, this is serious stuff. But he had to humble himself to ask. And so many people, I'm just being real with you, a whole lot of people are going to be in hell because they wouldn't ask God for cleansing. They wouldn't say, Jesus, I want you. I need help. I need to be forgiven because my life has been ugly. My heart's been ugly. My mind, my words. If you think you're getting into heaven on your good deeds, we'll get to the details of this later. But if you really believe that, you need to really take a look at your life. And ask yourself, do I want to stand in court before the King of kings and Lord of lords and defend every word that I've said? Because you can't make any mistakes. you got to stand there perfect. Or are you willing to ask? First John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, does what? Purifies. Or if you have another translation, it says cleanses us of all our sin or all of our impurities. You got to be willing to ask. But here's the problem. Now his pride kicks in. So he goes to the king of Israel. King of Israel doesn't know what to do. He thinks it's a political trap. And Elisha says, because the king of Israel didn't believe anything. And so he comes over. Now you need to understand the Syrians worshiped a God named Remnon. Feel free to look up Remnon, R-I-M-N-O-N. Remnon is described as the thunderbolt. That is how they would, that's how he was pictured. Um, Zeus, Baal, uh, Satan. You could take it from Satan and work it up to Remnon. So it comes down, like most stories, it comes down to Satan versus the living God. That's what the battle's about. Everybody in Syria, including including Naaman, they worshiped Remnon, who is Satan, in a different body. He got no results there. So he goes to see Elisha. And again, in Hebrew, it's even more fun. Elisha literally won't leave his house. Elisha told the king, send him over. He goes over, and Elisha doesn't even give him the respect. Now think about it, all right? the number one military commander of the country that is controlling your country, showed up at the front door. With all of his horsemen, all of his chariots, all of their army, all of their war games, they're ready for battle, and Elisha won't answer the door. He yells down from upstairs, Hey, go dip in the Jordan seven times. Oh, and he's ticked. He is a man used to everybody doing what he says. He only answers to one guy on the planet. Who is it? The king of Syria. Everybody else on the planet works for this guy. And it says he left in a rage because he thought surely he'll come out and wave his hand. Surely he'll come out and do some cantation. Do you know why Elisha didn't? Because if Elisha had done that, they would have said, look at what Elisha did. But Elisha said, no, you go and dip in the Jordan seven times. See, Elisha's not going to take the credit for what God's doing. God's the one that's going to take care of it. Now, we can argue all day Why seven times all this? Uh, You want the real reason why? Ready? This is deep. God told them to. You want to know why God says things in the Word of God? Why, why we're asked to do things? Because God said so. And the problem we have in our culture today is that we've lost that concept of what it means to be under authority. Under authority in our families. Under authority in our government. Under authority in our school system. Under authority in the Word of God. Because once it breaks down in one part of our lives, it breaks down in every part of our lives. When the authority's gone. So if the authority is not God's word, then it's just every man for himself. So why? Why go dip seven times in the Jordan? Because God said so. So his friend says to him, Look, if he'd asked you to climb Mount Everest, you'd have done it. Yeah? Probably right. Well, all he asked you to do was go dip in the Jordan seven times. What, What have you got to lose? And you know what? People come to me a lot, and they ask me questions. And and again, people that I'm trying to, I want you to go to heaven with me. And so I tell you about Jesus and the cross and accepting Jesus and being baptized. I go through all this, and then people want to argue with me. And this is, if you've ever been in counseling with me, you're going to hear this line at some point. I'm going to say to you, that's great. How has your way been working for you? Because if it was working well, you wouldn't be sitting here with me. So you're admitting there's a need. Will you take the prescription? So he says, okay, what do I got to lose? So he goes down to the Jordan. Now pay attention. When he comes up out of the water the first time, is he cleansed? Two, three, four? No, the seventh time. Why? Because God told him to dip seven times. Nothing magical about seven times. It's not like the seventh time the the angel of anti-leprosy swam by no he was being obedient to what god says but when he comes up out of that water everything has changed and in fact it's he didn't have this he didn't have the skin of an old man he had the skin of a young boy i don't have that god was saying if you'll trust my word so what's the response his response is My God's not God. There's no God like this. Elisha, not taking the credit. He gives all the credit to God. Here's Isaiah 2.12, because this is what he had to get over. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all the exalted, for they will be humbled. We talked about it last week, Philippians 2. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I've had people tell me, I mean, they don't even know they're fulfilling prophecy. They look me in the eye and they say, Look, I, I think Jesus is a good guy. I think he was a prophet. But the one thing you'll never hear from me is that Jesus is Lord. And I thought, Well, actually, I, I will. It's just a matter of whether it will be to your condemnation or to your coronation. That's what it comes down to. But see, the biggest, he had to ask. That was tough, but he made the ask. But then he had to avoid his own pride. So God says, look, you got to accept me. Well, God, I'll do anything. I'll climb Mount Everest. I'll work in the food bank for the rest of my life. And God said, that ain't going to do you any good. you got to accept Jesus as your Savior. Now, today at 5 o'clock, we're going to be at Andy Romano Park. Uh, if you're in Palm Bay and the land, you're welcome to come. Uh, you can see David or Michael if you need um, if you need to, to be baptized there, they'll figure out a lake, a river, a pond, a, a pool. They'll, they'll make that happen. But here in Ormond, we're going to meet at Andy Romano Park, not at 2 like we normally do, but at 5. And we, for two reasons. At 2 o'clock, it's 135 degrees out there, and there's nowhere to park. And we found out last time a number of people that wanted to be baptized couldn't even find a place to park. So 5 o'clock, most of the crowds will be gone. It will be a little bit cooler. And so if you need to be baptized, you're ready to accept Jesus Christ. Uh, come on out. Bring your friends, your family. If there's somebody you've been working on, say, hey, come on out. Just listen to the teaching and let, let's let God. God will take care of it. God, God is powerful. His Holy Spirit will motivate people. But you've got to set your pride aside. And when you accept Jesus, and we put you under that water for a brief second, you're denying yourself completely. I am, I'm being buried with Jesus, and I come up connecting to the resurrection of Jesus. I am now a part of the kingdom of God. See, you can say, well, there's got to be another way. There's got to be more options. You can, well, you argue all you want. That's exactly what Naaman did. He got mad. He left in a rage. And it took a servant to come up and say, dude, look, why not give it a try? Let's go back to my statement. How's your way been working? But then what it comes down to for all of us is this. At some point, you have to decide, will I accept God's plan? Okay. I ask. I have to avoid my pride. But at some point, you've got to take a step. All right. This is where it gets preachy. All right. All right. You've got to accept what God's Word says. About what? About living a sexually pure life as a single person? About how to be proper in your marriage? About how to keep your marriage together? About what to do with your money? About how to live your life? About how to control your tongue? All of that comes under the acceptance umbrella. Isaiah 118, God says, Come, let us reason together. The, the phrase literally means God says, Why don't we sit down together and let me help you understand how wrong you are. And I'll show you how good my grace really is. You've got to accept it. You've got to decide. I need to accept Jesus. I need to be baptized. I need to follow Him. I've got to get my act back together and start following again. I don't know where your story is. I know right now there are people who are right on the edge. Anxiety, depression, suicidal, marriage problems, grief problems. You're watching at home and everything I just said is true. The only hope we have is in Jesus. That's it. There's not multiple options here. Jesus is the only hope for the world. He's the only hope for the United States. He's the only hope for Florida. He's the only hope for Ormond Beach, and he's the only hope for you and me. That's it. Two stories, and we'll... I I have to, you know, I have to do this. we got a dinosaur here. They just found this one. This dude's huge, by the way. Uh, Huge monster. uh, Big old spikes on his back. Sort of an alligator, sort of a dinosaur, all going on here. But here's the cool thing. The headline says, 160 million-year-old dinosaur, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But... In his stomach was the last meal that he ate. We know exactly what the dinosaur ate before he got fossilized. Now let me help you. Evolution says that it takes thousands, sometimes millions of years to be fossilized. Now that's some pretty good food that he ate. If it can sit there for a million years without disintegrating... Well, here's the problem. It wasn't 160 million years ago. It was during the time of the flood. And he got fossilized very quickly during a flood. And as all the water came in, he gets smashed into the ground and is fossilized almost instantly as so fast that that food in his system didn't even get digested. You got a better answer? I'll be willing to listen. But here's my money one for today. Let's show this picture got the water picture uh, anybody know what this is any aquaologist in here yeah one all right Pacific Atlantic do you know that you notice the deal here you look at a map it looks like one big ocean doesn't it why is it we gave them names why is it the Pacific the Atlantic the Indian because it it's one ocean around the world yet, It's not. The salt levels are different. If you went to the Amazon, you would see there when the Amazon empties into the ocean, the Amazon goes out for hundreds of miles into the ocean and it never mixes with the ocean. You can be hundreds of miles offshore and still dip your bucket down into the water and drink it because it's fresh water because the Amazon water never mixes with the salt water. Can you explain that? God asked that question to Job 4,000 years ago. Job 38, verses 10 and 11. Check this out. He said, when I fixed the limits for the oceans and I set its doors and its bars in place, when I said, this is how far you can go and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. And he says, Job, can you explain to me Why one ocean stops here and this one stops here. But the Atlantic and the Pacific never mix. How did Job know that 4,000 years ago? Because it wouldn't have made any sense for God to say, Job, what's your problem here? Do you understand this? Unless Job already had seen it. Unless Job had already experienced it. But God used this example. God said, I tell the ocean how far to go and where it stops. Listen, my job is to get you to trust your Bible. Trust the word of God. Trust Jesus Christ. All right? So we're going to take it line by line. We'll pull out anything we can find to get you to know and come to that place that Naaman came to. When he said, like, I don't believe any of this. I just want to be cleansed. And before it's over, he says, "There is no other God." That's our objective. So we're going to go now into our time of communion, and you got these cups. I know they're difficult, and um, but they're sanitary. Um, if you haven't figured them out yet, there's two little. Cellophanes. All right, this is really just to mess you up. You pull off the top piece, you get to the bread, then there's a second piece, and by then you're probably wearing the juice. That's kind of how, that's, that's the actual design of uh, of this cup. Um, but I was reading a story this week about Lance Armstrong, and we used to tell stories about Lance, you know, what a great winner he was, and we found out he's been cheating his whole career in a Tour de France. And... Um, He's not a Christian by a long shot, just in case you were wondering. Um, But he said, during the six years of my winning and all of that, he said, I estimate that I lied 10,000 times publicly. Now, by the world standards, people would say, well, lance Armstrong's a good guy. He's helped people. He's given money to the poor. He's helped this foundation. He, he's a good guy, right? Yet he admits that he lied 10,000 times. Who knows what all the guy actually did? Not here to pick on Lance. lance got his own problems. Hope he finds Jesus. But when you and I get to thinking, oh, I'm a I'm pretty good guy. Maybe you need just kind of ponder through your head again why you so desperately need Jesus. And so Jesus left this reminder and he said, when you begin to think you're all that in a bag of chips, think back over your life and know how desperately you need to be cleansed. And so we meet each week and we take the bread and we drink the juice and it's a reminder of Jesus' body and Jesus' blood. So let's take it together. Watch yourself. Jesus, I thank you for the hope that's ours. I thank you that you are a God who does cleanse. That you take our sins, as Psalm 103 says, and you throw them as far as the east is from the west. You are our only hope. You are the only God. And so we ask today for that cleansing. We ask that you would help us to work past our own pride and arrogance. And that we would accept not only your salvation, but we would accept your lordship and that we would obey in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.